Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. Back to Mitch Horowitz. Mitch, when we did our Beyond Belief taping, you have a tattoo on your arm of Neville Goddard. Who is he? Neville is a mystic who lived in the 20th century. He was born on the island of Barbados in 1905, died in uh, West Hollywood in 1972. And Neville had one basic teaching, which is that your imagination is God, and that everything you see and experience, including my voice right now, comes from within you, that everything in your world is your own emotionalized thoughts, mental images, outpictured, concretized into reality. And anytime you encounter reference to God or Christ or the Creator in Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, you're encountering a symbolical reference to your own imagination, and that the Bible is a blueprint to humanity's self-development. So Neville occupied the most radical edge of what might be called mind power or positive thinking philosophy. He taught literally that everything you experience emanates from within you, including the words you're hearing right now. So according to Neville's teaching, the fact that I'm speaking means that you were just ready to hear this message. There's no Mitch here. There's no George here. There's just you, the listener. And it just so happens that you were ready to hear this message at this moment in time. Mitch, when we hear the word occult, most people think it sounds dark, Satanist, evil. Why is that? Well, you know, look, religions always struggle for dominance. Uh, Power systems always struggle for dominance. And it so happens in late antiquity that the early church gained dominance over uh, the nature-based religions, the mystery religions, the so-called pagan faiths. And these things were reclassified as evil. They were reclassified as corrupt. And look, it's human nature. If the pagan powers had prevailed, they would have classified Christianity the same way. Uh, Very often, winners get to write history. Now, in the Renaissance age, uh, thinkers and scholars, translators, were re-encountering the ideas from ancient Egypt, ancient Rome, Greece, Persia, and they called these things occult, which came from the Latin word occultus for secret or hidden. There's nothing intrinsically evil in the word at all. It's just a reference to pre-Judeo-Christian philosophies from the ancient world. that some of humanity's most primeval wisdom. It's the path that I walk. And I use the term occult because it has historical integrity, but uh, there's no evil association with it at all. Interesting take on that. Uh, And, of course, the Nazis didn't help the word either, did they? Well, the Nazis and other fascist movements did adopt a lot of symbols from the occult. These things are very powerful, whether it's an all-seeing eye or a skull and crossbones or it's an obelisk. By the way, you'll also find these same symbols spread throughout Washington, D.C. You'll also find that some of these same symbols and ideas inspired a humanitarian figure like Gandhi. Occult symbols have always traveled through our political architecture, as well as art and, 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 and hip-hop culture and so on, because they're very magnetic, they're very powerful. You heard the study that we had with Dr. Peter Bregan when you were on hold, Mitch, uh, at the top of the hour, where the you know people are depressed right now because of COVID and everything else, and uh, he was giving his advice. Tell me about the 10-Day Miracle Challenge. This is something I'm going to be beginning on January 1st. So it hasn't started yet? Oh, no. Well, well, it can start any time. The 10-Day Miracle Challenge is an exercise that can start any time, but I'm going to be doing it myself. Ah, okay. I host listeners to join me on January 1st. I'll be doing it with you 
January 1st through January 10th, but it can be done anytime. It's, it's super simple. You simply you think of something that you really need in the short term. We're talking about a space of 10 days. Something that's reasonable, achievable within 10 days, but really urgent. And really and, and not, not greedy type, right? Not greedy, you know, but, but there's nothing greedy, for example, about needing money or resources or what have you. A lot of, a lot of American households are in need right now. And think of something that is really necessary and really achievable within a period of 10 days. Write it down, create a grid of 10 boxes, and each of these 10 days do everything possible, both from a physical and metaphysical perspective, to attain your goal. Work in the outer world, but also pray, visualize, affirm, do magic, do spell work, write down your aim, focus on your aim, let your aim be on your mind constantly. Mark off a box each day, and then the final step, which is the most important, be very, very watchful for the arrival of whatever it is you're wishing for, because my contention is that we overlook miracles all the time. Mm-hmm. I'm not embarrassed to use the term miracle. It's just a fortuitous departure from all expected circumstance. And these things enter our lives, but they enter our lives sometimes in ways that don't fit our own mind's eye uh, picture of, of how it should look, how it should arrive, what it should be like. Be very, very watchful. See what happens in that 10 days. And I'll be doing it with Coast listeners starting on January 1st. What manifests whatever you want? What, what is doing it? I think, George, we live in a world of infinite realities, of serial possibilities. We've, we've seen enough coming out of quantum theory, coming out of relativity, coming out of other branches of science in the 20th and 21st century to understand that linear time and a neat orderly reality is not what we think it is. There are serial realities occurring everywhere. This has been something that's been testified to by seekers over many centuries and I think has been validated by quantum theory, psychical theory, and other branches of the hard sciences. I don't use the term manifest, I use the term select. I think that what we focus upon with our senses, which really are tools of measurement, not much different than the tools used in the particle lab, what we focus on with our senses, we are selecting. Isn't mind over matter, Mitch? Absolutely. And I think that we're at a point now in the 21st century where we can say very plainly, mind over matter is reality. Uh, If we look just at the field of neuroplasticity, for example, in neuroplasticity, we're able to use brain scans to demonstrate that thoughts that you sustainably hold will alter the neural pathways in your brain, the pathways that electrical impulses travel in your brain. Thoughts themselves alter gray matter, alter the brain. It's literally mind over matter, and we have proof of it. The proof itself is not controversial. The implications are controversial. But we live in a generation where mind over matter is a proven fact. We've got a guest. His name's Joseph Gallenberger. He's a professor, and he has done studies on taking people to Las Vegas. He's written a several books. One is called Liquid Luck. Yes. His theory is, is that the happier you are, the more energetic you are, the more luckier you're going to become in Vegas, that you have the ability to control your destiny there. So what he does is he takes two groups of people out there. One is a happy group. Mm-hmm. One is a miserable group. Yeah. And he said almost every time the happy group comes back winners, the miserable group comes back losers. Yes. And I've asked him what causes that, and he's gone into it, but I'd like to get your thoughts on that. 
Well, it's fascinating because his work lines up with some very important findings in scholarly ESP research that go back to the 1930s. One of my heroes, J.B. Ryan, was an ESP researcher at Duke University for many years. That's right, the Ryan Institute. The Ryan Institute, which is still operating today as a not-for-profit organization off campus. And one of the things that J.B. referenced in his experiments, and he just referenced this in a footnote, but it's so monumental, and that's the kind of man he was. He was very conservative about his experiments, and he could relegate something to a footnote that just was epic. And he noticed that if there were results in ESP tests, usually it correlated to a mood of hopeful expectancy in the lab, including among the test subject, him or herself. So JB repeatedly found across tens of thousands of experiments that when you get results, there's usually an atmosphere of hopeful expectancy. And it seems to me that in liquid luck, uh, those experiments were repeated, albeit, you know, this time in Las Vegas. But it seems to be hopeful expectancy is the trigger in the placebo response. It's the trigger in ESP research. It seems to be the trigger in what I would call selection. So the big question for us, the big question for 2021, is how do we as individuals cultivate hopeful expectancy? Because that is the master key, it seems, to all this metaphysical possibility. And a lot of my work is dedicated to considering how can we cultivate reasonable, hopeful expectancy, because when that's present, remarkable things occur. How do people stay upbeat when they're constantly being beaten down? Yeah, yeah. Uh, There are different methods, and they're profoundly important. Uh, One of the key methods that I tell people, and it's, it's very simple, but it's also very challenging, You've got to get away from cruel people. You've got to be in an atmosphere that's supportive. I don't think we talk enough about that. We all know, sure, it's good to be around people who believe in us, but I don't think we realize just how great the stakes are. I know that people are suffering, and if you're in a situation where you're around someone who is repeatedly running you down, making you the butt of cruel humor, devaluing you with subtle remarks, You've got to get away from such people. And if you're incapable of it for economic reasons or what have you, make a vow internally. Make it tonight that you will separate from that person as an internal fact, and you'll do so as a physical fact as soon as possible. I really value simple things because simple things are very often the foundation to all of life. And we don't always act in these simple ways, which can be simple but also epic if we really take the steps to move on them. You have uh, some things called uh, very powerful spiritual exercises. Which would you say is your strongest? I would say my strongest is having an absolute definite focus. It's a law of nature that focus brings force. Uh, You could wave air currents uh, out of the way with your hand right now, but if you concentrate those air currents, they become an absolutely seismic force. We don't see light photons, but if you concentrate photons of light very intensively, they become a laser. Focus creates power. That's where power comes from. So my message to people is the greatest key to your own internal power is having one definite absolute focus. And it can be very difficult because we play a lot of different roles in life. We're parents, we're workers, we're caregivers. We have all kinds of different roles that we play. And the thing I always tell people is one well-selected aim, 
one really well-focused aim can cover a lot of different bases. But don't let life take you away from that aim. You have to be intensively focused like a beam of light, and it will open up power to you. Was there ever a time, Mitch, in your life you were down and out and used some of these techniques to pull out of it? Absolutely. I use them all the time, and I use them every day. You know, I never want people to feel that I'm somehow just walking on sunshine because I talk about positive mind techniques. Uh, I struggle with anxiety. I struggle with all the same things that everybody else does. In fact, I really came to these techniques as a kid because I was struggling with anxiety. So I engage in prayer and spell work and visualization and affirmation, and also a belief in reciprocity, a belief that there's a circuitry of behavior, Mm -hmm. that uh, we're all a part of one great whole. What's done to self is done to another. So that's the backbone of my ethical system. What about karma? Yeah, oh, I believe in it, absolutely. I I tend to speak in terms of reciprocity. Uh, Karma is such a large concept. You know, it's hard to get our arms around how human life is so interactive, is so completely reciprocal. But there's no question that if you accept that we have an extra physical existence, and I think that's been proven beyond question, then it stands to reason that we're all participating in one common existence as well, and that there is reciprocity. There is cosmic reciprocity, which is just another name for karma. And I think that's at the back of all of our ethics. Let me ask you this. Uh, Here's an exercise. Mm -hmm. Two different people, there's a homeless person standing at the corner holding up a sign. One person goes up to him, gives him a $20 bill, and doesn't care. Just says, you know, here you go, good luck, I hope everything works out for you, and leaves. Mm -hmm. The other person gives him a $20 bill and walks away thinking, now I'll get 100 because I was a good guy. What happens to either one of those two? It's a tricky question. It's a tricky question, you know. We'd all like to say that the person who gives selflessly is going to get rewarded, but I would consider the following. You know, sometimes there have been questions, really, the question you're asking is a universal human question. You know, does my motive matter? Does my motive matter? And one of my favorite teachers within Jewish tradition, Abraham Joshua Heschel, said, look, the important thing is to do the act. Eventually the motive will follow. Just do the act. Do the act. William James, the great philosopher, used to say the same thing. He would say, you know, we get too concerned with root causes. We can't always know root causes, and sometimes we're divided within. You know, we do an action. It's partly selfish. It's partly altruistic. It's hard to figure out, you know, where one begins and the other ends. The important thing is to do the act. Do the act and let what follows follows. We have an intrinsic sense of how we should be treating one another, because we have an intrinsic sense of how we should be treating ourselves. Uh, act, act, and, and let the outcome flow from that. But are you saying that the person who expects some kind of return from the universe will get it or will not? I, I, th- I don't think there's anything wrong with expectancy, you know, quite frankly. I mean, look, people, human beings do things in a transactional way all the time, and we like to say, hey, you know, We have to give with no strings attached. We have to give in a loving way, and I admire that, and I celebrate that. At the same time, our motives are very often mixed, and I think, here, you know, let me give you this for an example. Let's say you're in a household where there's a lot of tension, and one person in that household decides, for whatever reason, I am going to behave in an impeccable way towards other people. I'm going to behave in a way that reduces this tension. 
whatever their attitude, whatever their motive is, they're still accomplishing something good. So I guess I'd have to say at the end of the day, I'm a, I'm a believer in action above motive. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.